Steve, happy Friday slash Monday. How are you, man? <laughs> I'm doing good, man. Uh, supposed to head out with the uh, family camping, but had some last minute change of plans. So we're going to go Sunday now and, and be gone Monday. So yeah. here we are recording this on Friday. But. Before I leave to go camping for the weekend. So juggling <laughs> schedules, yet trying to stay consistent for you guys. <laughs> So, yeah, it's good to be back uh, to Monday Minutes. You know, it almost feels like it's still a new thing after the whole COVID mess and our podcast schedule, but we appreciate you guys kind of continuing to share questions and engage, and we'll dive into some of those today for sure. Um, before we do, Steve, just kind of like any any updates of things going on, whether it's, you know, personal hunt planning stuff or, you know, things going on at EXO, like what's new for you, man? uh yeah just gearing up for summer i did get out uh random fun story I, my daughter we caught her she caught her first fish uh last monday we went out for memorial day went up in the mountains and i got a little boat and went trolling around on the lake and that was like literally top five dad moments it was freaking incredible yeah. um so yeah so much fun to to do that and then we ended up cooking the fish up uh the next night and yeah she was fun for her to kind of like I mean, she was very aware that she was eating the fish that she caught, and it was just a cool moment. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, yeah, other than that, you know, it's um, being in uh, uh, hunting-wise, like I'm I'm already trying to get all my gear dialed in, my goal every year, and this has just been through experience because we're, you know, as a hunting company, we're our busy, busy season's July and August, so I, I have a rule by the end of June that I have to be like literally July 1st, ready to go hunting, you know, like mm-hmm. that next day I have all my gear, everything dialed in, ready to go. Cause if, uh, like I said in past experience, if I'm not July and August flies by so quick that all of a sudden it's like, you know, a week before your first hunt and you're just scrambling. So just kind of going through my gear ordered up, uh, um, I have been able to <laughs> do my, my lower back's been so miserable, um, uh, that, uh, I've been sleeping on the ground in our bedroom um, and it's given me a, uh, just cause our beds, it's pretty firm, but it's just like, I wake up and my back's just killing me. Um, and after the bear hunt two weekends ago, uh, I woke up in the morning and was like, my back feels better than it does at home. So then I came home and I just started sleeping on the floor, but <laughs> giving me the opportunity to test out sleeping pads and, uh, uh, I've used a different one almost every night. Uh, but I, I did order up, um, a Neo air X light from Thermarest, And I was actually like super, I don't know, like uh, I was super impressed with it. So I, I think that's going to be my, my I'm going to try that one again. So I, I, the, I obviously got like a pillow, you know, a real nice comfy pillow at home. Um, yeah. so I think I'm going to try that. Like I need to do a little bit of research and I've got a, Oh, a sea to summit pillow I've had for years. But I was going to, I was going to dig online around or if anyone out there has got any suggestions of a great pillow, please send it in. So, mm-hmm. um, but, uh, yeah, the, I mean, the go-to for comforts, obviously that Sea to Summit, Sea to Summit Comfort Plus, and it's a fantastic pad, but it's just so freaking heavy. It's like 26 ounces or whatever. So, uh, that X Lite, if, you know, at 12 ounces and I add in a, a two or three ounce pillow, I'm way, way ahead of the game. So, yeah. uh, yeah. Anyway, so it's, it's been kind of fun to chance to test sleeping pads at home and check them out. I know the, uh, a couple of the other ones I have, they just don't quite cut it in comfort. That's for sure. So. Mm-hmm. Um, got a big Agnes one that's not there. The Sea to Summit Ether Light. Um, it's it's an interesting thing. You think those big four inch thick pads would just be super plush, but 
uh, for me, it's there, there's like, a, there's no structure to it. So you got to run enough air, um, that your I'm a side sleeper so that my hip doesn't hit the ground. Um, but then by the time you put that much air in, it gets really stiff and it's kind of pointless to have all that volume. So yeah, that's where, uh, some of the other pads that, uh, the Neo air does a good job. And then the comfort plus one does a fantastic job of, um, it's kind of an interesting balance there of having like, as you blow it up, it's got internal structure. So it doesn't just completely collapse in the middle under your weight. Um, yeah. yeah. Fun stuff. You said the pillow you're using, that's just one of the little seat of cement, like the arrows or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I can't remember. I've had it for years. It's a little tiny thing and just, yeah, I I've never had, it's, you know, it's obviously a blow up pillow. Um, I've never had good luck with it. It just seemed like you're, you're the best thing I could equate it to is just imagine trying to sleep on a balloon with your head. Like it's just very bouncy and rolls around. And, um, so I was going to do some research to see what else is out there. My go-to, uh, the last few years is I just have a little mini 12 inch by 12 inch fleece pillowcase. And I just stuff my uh, puffy jacket in there and it's got a little Velcro closure on it. And that's, that's good. It's so cold that I need to sleep with my puffy on and then I'm without a pillow. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I don't want, uh, there's gotta be a good pillow option out there. That's, you know, just weighs three ounces and kind of in between being a sleeping on a balloon, uh, and, yeah. and having some cushion. So I yeah. know that I haven't looked at them too close, but I, cause I'm the same way. I've had one of those seated cement pillows for four or five years. And I know that since then they've updated some of their options and models and have like larger ones now. So I don't know if going to a bigger one would help. And then I've noticed mine, it's for me, there's like a super sweet spot. And I guess this is true of both the pillow and the pads, but like kind of dialing in that sweet spot of how much inflation is enough versus kind of like what you were talking about. If you have to go too firm, you're, you know, you're losing some of the benefits of like quote unquote cushion or volume. Um, and so really playing with that, I don't know, you know, maybe guys who are newer, if they just blow up their pad till it's rock hard and then they're like, oh, that's not great. You know, play with both on the pillow and the pad, like what is the right type of inflation level for you? Because it can it can change things pretty dramatically. Yeah, I've noticed that. Um, yeah, for me, I run super low pressure, almost to the point where I used to just blow up a pad till it was completely full and tight and then just take a little bit of air out. Um, now I basically like it you would think it's flat um like there's you know maybe 50 percent of the air in there but when i get on it um that's definitely the most comfortable for me so um the my new technique that seems to work that i've been doing uh sleeping on the floor here is um basically i blow it up and then i lay on it uh and then the some of the newer pads the comfort plus and then thermarest change their valves where you can slowly just let out air so i'll just I'll lay on it and then I'll kind of reach up and, and push on the valve um, until and let the air slowly leak out until I feel my hip just touch the ground. And then I'll go and then I'll stop and then I'll just put like two breaths of air in there. Uh, and that's like a great for me. It's like a great place to start. So uh, all that geekery was not planned. <laughs> yeah, <no. laughs> oh, it's funny, man. You get off on like random like here's the perfect way to blow up a sleeping pad. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, like you know, it. it's, it's, uh, oh, who did we have on camera? Who I guess we had on the podcast years ago was like the most important thing on backcountry hunts is, is making sure they get good sleep. Um, yeah. and the older I get, uh, you know, early twenties, you could just kind of wing it. And now it's like, I don't know, I wake up and I don't get good sleep. I'm cranky and I'm stiff. And, yeah. um, so yeah, it's kind of a, 
becomes more important for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it made me think I actually forgot we got this email because I didn't kind of put it on the list of our podcast questions yet. But I just saw it this week of a guy who uh, heard you talking about that C to Summit pad, the Comfort Plus, and he got it. And he's a big guy. I want to say he said he was like 6'1", 220 or 230 or something like that. And um, he got the the bigger, like wide and long version of the pad. But then he was like, he realized how much weight that was adding. It's not a a light pad oh, yeah. to begin with, but then going to the long and um, wide version just added more significant weight. And so he was kind of questioning, like, should I just size down? And then he was think, you know, his line of thought was like, how far do you go? So he was asking, do you guys ever use a short pad, like specifically, even though it's too short for you and just basically use it for, you know, your, obviously your head, your torso and part of your legs and let your feet hang. And, um, I actually have played with that, not necessarily intentionally to save weight, but I've just been stuck in situations where I've used a short pad and I'm six two. Um, it, from a comfort perspective, it can be okay. Um, definitely not preferred. I wouldn't do it necessarily to save weight, but then the other thing just to keep in mind, we've talked so many times about, like the importance of the pad and it's our value in terms of how warm you stay, regardless of what, you know, if you're using a sleeping bag or a quilt, like the pad's just a huge piece of that. And then so many people will say that the the first thing to get cold on them is their feet when they sleep. And so if you think about going to a shorter pad and then not having good coverage under your feet with a pad, um, that is going to have a massive impact on your feet potentially getting cold if you don't have that extra level of insulation. So I wouldn't recommend going with a shorter pad. Um, I like full length coverage. Uh, and it's just one of those things like making that decision. You're talking about Steve of especially as you get older and you prioritize comfort and you also realize that how much sleep and how the quality of your sleep can change, you know, the quality of your hunting ability, especially over multiple, multiple days, then it is one of the areas where maybe it's, even if you want to be a lightweight guy, like having that good, comfortable pad is just worth the wait. I mean, you've talked about that for you personally. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, some, some guys just sleep good and some guys don't. And I'm one of the guys that doesn't. So making sure you got that dialed in is pretty stinking important. Yeah. Well, that was an aside. Let's, let's get to a listener question. Um, a good topic came up, a guy wrote in and said, do you have any tips for shooting a bow in the wind? When I shoot in the wind, it blows me and the bow around quite a bit, and I tend to start punching the trigger. Any tips would be awesome. Um, man, there's a lot to hit here. You could talk about your bow setup. You could talk about target panic. You could talk about wind drift on the arrow. Like When it comes to shooting in the wind, there's definitely quite a bit to think through. Um, what comes to mind for you first, Steve? Yeah, A, get out and practice in it um, understand what you can and can't do, you know, um, for sure there's things you can do. Obviously, uh, the heavier your bow is, uh, the more stable it's going to be, uh, you know, what kind of quiver are you running? You, you might be creating a, you know, a big old sail on the, on the bow. Um, uh, I think there's some, um, things you could do there. Uh, just technique and form, you know, when I, when I'm, um, shooting in the wind, I definitely pull like harder into the wall to kind of like create more tension throughout the whole, you know, at full draw setup. Um, just, yeah, I seem to just be more stable that way versus, you know, my normal, I kind of come to full draw and then I kind of just like relax a little bit. Uh, you know, if there's not, uh, not wind, um, but I definitely just pull hard, harder into the wall and that helps. Uh, 
and then yeah, I mean it's um I guess I don't know what else besides that, man. I'm the I do use the trick to cant my bow into the wind. Um so if you're shooting 60 yards and you got a 10 mile an hour crosswind, instead of actually holding um say it's right to left crosswind, so it's gonna push your arrow left, um, instead of holding like, you know, six to eight inches off and aiming to the right you actually just aim where you want to aim and then just can't your bow and i do about half a bubble level so um basically i you got the you got your bubble um inside the site and then you've got two tick marks right on each side of that that kind of tell you where the center is i'll put half of the bubble on a on a tick mark or basically center the left tick mark on the bubble mm-hmm. um and that works really really well so basically i'm canting the bow to shoot right and then, and then the arrow's gonna, the wind's gonna push it left, uh, and I don't have to kind of offset my aim. Um, and for whatever reason, that works well for me. Um, but I would definitely get out and practice in it. It's uh, once you got, it's it's really frustrating to sight in in the wind. Uh, but once you're sighted in and dialed, then yeah, if it's kind of a windy day, 10, 15 mile hour wind, go out there and shoot and see what you can do. You know, um, it's super important to to do that stuff to to experience it and. You know, that way when you're out there in the field and it's blowing a little bit and you're sneaking in on, on a deer or elk, you're going to know in advance, like you, if you can make the shot or not. Yeah. Um, and yeah, sometimes there's definitely like a, you need to have that, uh, it's like the advanced extreme version of just letting the pin float and squeezing the trigger, you know, mm-hmm. um, like you got to really, really fight that urge to punch the trigger, but cause your pins just moving so much more than you want it to. Um, but, uh, yeah, you're, you know, you're getting like a, you know, 50 yards, your pins like four inches left, four inches, right. A little bit high, a little bit low left, right. Um, and you've really just got to focus in on, uh, just squeezing that trigger and letting it go off versus trying to force the shot. But yeah, again, uh, just get out and practice in it. There's, there's no better way to, to see what your capabilities are. Yeah, I agree. It's, I, I don't like shooting in the wind, like even from a practice perspective, sometimes I'm half tempted, just like, oh, these conditions suck. My groups are going to open up. I shouldn't be shooting and just have to tell myself, no, this is when you should be shooting, um, is when conditions aren't ideal. Uh, I think you hit on an important point with a quiver and just kind of looking at the profile of your bow, um, you know, and how that's going to be affected by wind. As you said, weight can help. So if you're specifically shooting in the wind, you know, stabilizer choice, that type of thing. I, I for sure have noticed like being able to hold steadier in the wind when running a, a sidebar back bar setup, but I just don't like the weight of that for backcountry hunting. So I just don't stick with it. Um, you know, even looking at arrow choices, you know, if you, if there's probability of, um, you know, extended shot distances and windier conditions, it's another reason why a, a more micro diameter shaft can be helpful. There's just going to be less drift and you could say it's non-consequential, but there just is. And sometimes, especially in bow hunting, like an inch is a big deal and half inch is a big deal. So everything that can help if that's a likelihood of conditions would be that micro shaft. I mean, I think if you even look at the history before micro shafts were in hunting and you talk about their performance on game in terms of penetration and um, friction, that type of deal, really the origins of the micro shafts were from, you know, FIDA field stuff, long distances, outdoor shooting, where that was a huge factor was wind. Um, and so there's no, no doubt that that can help for sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, this guy mentioned punching the trigger, like there's definitely that mental component, the target panic component, 
um, to shooting. And it's really, I think what you mentioned, Steve, of so many of us like have that freak out moment when we can't hold right on the spot. And it just creates that little bit of panic of like, oh, the bubbles, or sorry, the pins move in. I got to go. I got to shoot now. Or maybe your pins floating and it, you know, you get that whole, I'm left, I'm high, I'm right. Oh, there it goes. It's on the, it's on the spot. I got to pull now. And then you're just punching to try and time it. Um, so yeah, just get comfortable with that float. Something that I've been doing even recently just to kind of get comfortable with the float is, um, Basically, I've been focusing on like calling your shot, right? So you're shooting longer distances or, you know, I'm shooting distance. I've been shooting a lot more, um, not at spots, but, you know, just at like blank sides, um, more open targets, not at bullseyes and really just focusing on holding as steady as I can, being okay with the pin float, letting the shot break be a surprise and then like processing, okay, the shot just broke. Here's where I was and basically calling that. So if I shoot three or five arrows, I've been shooting a distance enough where I can't necessarily see all of them on the target from my shooting position. And I want to know when I walk up to the target where those three or five shots are and call that shot. And focusing on that has just allowed me to like be okay with that float and let the break break and then understand what happens. And it's it's still somewhat surprising to me how when you're just focused, yet at the same time accepting that float, like things tend to center up and things tend to work out. So just, yeah, there's that, I mean, you, we could talk about target panic forever. Uh, we've done episodes on in the past and there's different things that can help. Um, but for me recently, I haven't been struggling with target, target panic, but just, you know, shooting more and more, um, and kind of having that mindset has helped me recently. If that makes sense. Mm, absolutely. Keeping on archery had another question. A guy says he recently picked up a new Hoyt from his dealer. He went with the black gold mountain light sight. It has the standard short base and he's wondering, is it worth going to a dovetail? When do you guys go to a dovetail and why? So in terms of a a fixed sight mount versus a dovetail mount. I know you've done both over the years, Steve. Uh, pros and cons of dovetails, why you might choose one, why you might stick with a fixed mounting point. Um, there's yeah, two reasons to go for a dovetail. Um, a, you're going to get more adjustability to get perfect peep alignment. Um, so obviously you can play the, the three things you can do to to get your peep aligned. So when you come to full draw, you just naturally settle, settle in an anchor. You open your eye to look through the peep. You want your, the round sight housing and your round peep, the edges uh, to perfectly line up. And that's going to give you consistent anchoring point, um, and making sure you're anchoring consistently. And then, uh, and you're going to shoot a lot better. So you, the, the three things you can do are play with the size of the hole in the peep site, play with the size of the ring on your site. Um, so like black gold has a, a standard and a large, uh, like one's like a two inch and one's two and three eight spot hog has the same. Uh, I think other, some companies are hit and miss on whether they not or do that. And then the third thing is, is the distance the site housing is from the peep site. Um, so when you're at full draw, how far that is uh, away from you or how close it is and, and moving that, 
um, you know, even an inch can have a pretty significant impact on how that, how the peep alignment is. So the dovetails just typically got, um, little tick marks in it that are every half to three quarters of an inch. And you're going to have probably, you know, three inches of range in and out to adjust that, to get it to line perfectly. Your standard fixed, uh, site, um, housing is going to, or a uh, base is going to have probably two or three adjustments that are anywhere from half to three quarters of an inch apart. Um, and so you just don't have as much to play with there, right? Uh, you can't really fine tune that. Uh, and then the other advantage traditionally is a dovetail is going to be a longer bar than a fixed, uh, a fixed base. And you're going to be able to get the site further away from you. Uh, and the reason you would, you know, do that is for more precision, more accuracy, right? The, the further that away, um, the pins are away from your eye, the more movement shows up, the more precise it is. The opposite of that though, is you, as the shooter, you're seeing more movement, um, and it's going to cause you to get target panic. So it's almost, a um, a negative effect. Um, so I used to run a dovetail. I'd, I used to run it all the way extended, uh, and then I would just play with the size of my peep sight to get perfect alignment. Um, and then when I got target panic, I flipped that around, and now I literally I run the sight as close as I possibly can to the riser to to eliminate as much movement, and I find myself shooting better. So um, yeah, that'd be uh, I think that's kind of all the reasons. And then I guess depending on the sight. Um, Third axis adjustment is absolutely something you need if you're going to be hunting out west in the mountains. Um, and sometimes, traditionally, dovetails have that built into them, where standard fixed bases don't. Uh, but that can be very dependent on site model. Um, so you, you really got to look at that first. Yeah, the only one other thing advantage to me personally for a dovetail is, and this doesn't apply to everyone, but it's just something I've noticed as a benefit, is traveling and if you're i guess this probably isn't an issue if the site isn't extended um and it is closer to the riser but for some cases um it kind of depends on your kind of like your riser configuration and your um even your limb configuration how that fits with your case but there's instances where it's potentially helpful to remove your site for travel be it uh local travel or like airline travel and some of the dovetails with the quick release and then also like solid secure remounting points have been really beneficial for me. But again, that's also an issue because you're typically running it extended. Therefore, it doesn't fit as easily in the case. So it's a, a pro and con, but just something to think through if you're traveling. Uh, I think we hit on that when we talked last August about like how to prepare your bow and travel with a bow type deal. But sometimes that quick mount and dismount of dovetail can be fin- beneficial in that regard. Steve, with you running, because um, he kind of had a, a related question about peep size, with you running your site close to the riser, what size peep do you typically end up needing then? Uh, I'm a, a three sixteenths. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So not that's uh, yeah, um, not big. Yeah. No, just that's yeah, pretty standard three sixteenths, and then eight three sixteenths and a quarter are probably your most common sizes, yeah. and it, it all just. The biggest var- there there's lots of variants there. There is, uh, yeah. uh, and there's just no way to say like the obviously your draw length plays a major role in that, right? Because we're just talking about the distance at full draw from peep site to site housing. Mm-hmm. 
your draw length plays a major role. The axle to axle of the bow plays a major role. So the, the shorter the axle is of your bow, the sharper the string angle is coming back to your face, the further the peep side is away from your eye at full draw. Uh, so you need a smaller, uh, no, sorry, bigger peep sight in that scenario. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, they're just, there's lots of variables in there. Uh, someone's three sixteenths is a good place to start. Um, and then, uh, with, you know, standard two inch housing, I think most guys are going to fall in line there. And then obviously there's, uh, lots of different peep sites out there on the market to where you can really, you know, you can get a five thirty seconds and, and stuff like yeah. that. You can really kind of fine tune that to, to dial it in for yourself. So, yeah, there's even peeps that I've played with. I still have one that the aperture of the peep is also changeable. So it's basically an outer ring of the peep and then has different inserts. So instead of uninstalling and reinstalling a new peep to try a different aperture, you can actually just change that out. So again, the outer ring of the peep is threaded and it takes a threaded insert. And so you can go from, you know, three sixteenths to a quarter and just kind of fine tune that way. But it's another moving part or piece or component. And I have had them uh, kind of come loose over time. So maybe not the best scenario for like a backcountry uh, hunt. But if you guys want to like have an option to try and play with different sizes and then establish which one's right for you. Um, that could be something to look at is like, okay, I'm setting up a new bow or I want to get really serious about this. And I want to understand how different, you know, peep sizes and apertures would change things for me. Maybe get one of those, play with it and then settle on your sizing and then just put in a fixed aperture of that size. Yeah. Um, keep the archery stuff rolling, man. Any suggestions for a stabilizer was another question. What are you running, Steve? Uh, you know, to be honest, um, it, it's funny how um, I think stabilizers are funny to me in that some people swear by a brand or another. Um, it flat out doesn't matter. It, you just I want the lightest carbon rod possible uh, uh, with the whatever weight I want to put on the end of that. Uh, and that's just dependent on the weight on the end of that just depends on the bow, uh, the geometry, the balance, all that stuff. Um, so you know, right now I run, um, a spider archery, uh, stabilizer. Um, I think it's a 10 and a half, 10 something inches. And then I actually, um, through, uh, I have some old bee stinger weights that, you know, bigger round discs. Um, and I threw those on there. Uh, and the biggest reason is I like to throw, for those bigger weights is actually like to throw the the bow over my um, shoulder and carry it kind of across the top of my shoulders. And that big weight just gives me something to, to kind of grab onto. Um, and that seems to work great for me. So, um, but yeah, it's literally just find a, um, uh, you can make it really complicated if you want, but at the same time, I just, just keep it simple. Just get something that's 10 to 12 inches long, uh, start with, you know, five ounces. You could go all the way up to eight, ounces i think is reasonable um any more than that i think you know for from a backcountry hunting setup right uh any more than that's probably overkill anything less than that if you only run like three ounces out on the end um you know i don't know if that's actually enough to really do some uh stabilize the bow but there's all sorts of you know i'm not a whole um uh, fan like you said of, of the back bars um side bars uh i just i don't know it's like some stuff's great on the range and then up in the mountains, it's like a different deal. You know, that's mm. kind of like where I'm at with like single pin slider sites. Fantastic. at the range. Don't want to be hunting with one. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt that they have effectiveness, but it's just weighing the literal like weight and bulk of that, and do you want to carry it around? I mean, I'd, I had shot with a back bar sidebar for uh, quite a while, loved it, and that was when I was doing just a lot more 3D and target stuff, and even had one on a hunting bow, but just over time, not only the weight, but like that extra protrusion, it was just a giant pain in the butt. And so it'd be one thing if I was trying to optimize every detail and shoot it 80 yards, but that's just not what I'm going for. I'm wanting to be close and, uh, and try and close the distance and take as close to shots as possible. And for that type of scenario, like that extra marginal gain just wasn't worth it to me. Um, it just depends on what you're going for there. Changing topics from archery, Steve, this one came up. I had to laugh. There was, you know, we uh, we had talked in a previous podcast about alarms and do we use our watch or in reach or phone and what do we do for alarms? And so this guy had a follow-up to that and he said he just did his first backpack hunt last year and he used his phone for an alarm, but his cousin did not. This guy writing in also says, I was the one with the tag and my cousin didn't. He was along to help, so he didn't have as much motivation to get going in the morning as me. So his alarm became me when I pulled the um, pulled the seal on my sleeping pad to empty the air. The sound of the noise would be his alarm and tell him when it's time to get up. The big psh- that was when he was waking up. So I thought that was interesting feedback, and I replied to this guy and I said, "Well, this year you need to one up that instead of the sound of the air escaping your pad waking him up you need to pull the plug on his pad <laughs> to wake him up so <laughs> not only would the sound wake him up but he would just flat out be laying on the ground in a second so i just wanted to throw out that there's a pro tip yeah if you have a buddy who won't get up yeah. in the morning just sneak over pull the plug on his pad and boom he'll be waking up <laughs> but i had never oh, thought like of that it. before until he wrote in and said he was using his pad and i'm like no nah, you should be using your buddy's pad man <laughs> Uh, I hope a bunch of guys are able to put that into practice this year. Yeah. <laughs> I like it. Well, that's a wrap for this one, guys. As always, thanks for tuning in. Keep the questions coming. Just shoot us an email to podcast at xomountgear.com. We'll be back on Wednesday with the full episode. Hope to talk to you then.